Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they show it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted. By Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, Bills Mafia? Happy Wednesday night here uh, on this divisional AFC uh, playoff round matchup. The Baltimore Ravens coming to town for the first. This is the first time the Bills have played in the divisional round since 1995. So obviously you're all soaking in. I am joined as always by my co-host Ryan Talbot. We are brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets, your neighborhood store with more. And we're really lucky tonight. We have an awesome guest, her second time appearing on the show, Kim Jones from NFL Network. How are you? Hi, guys. How are you doing? We are wonderful. We are wonderful. Now, you were in town this past week. You watched um, the, the Bills and the Colts, and now you're covering Buffalo, Baltimore this weekend. So you're you're all Bills all the time here. <laughs> I am. Yeah, I'm happy to do, be doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's one thing that I wanted to talk, talk to you a little bit about at the top here is, you know, we haven't been traveling because um, it's tougher in New York State, I think, coming back in during this all this COVID stuff. What's it been like for you that's had to kind of travel around a little bit covering in, in different cities? What's this season been like? Yeah, well, I live in New Jersey. So New Jersey and New York are reciprocal. So mm. there's not a problem there. Um, I drove my first few times to Buffalo. Um, it's about seven hours one way. So um, at one point I, I said, you know, I've got to fly. Uh, and at that point they were letting us fly. So, um, you know, I've flown now since probably mid to late September on my, uh, on the trips I've made. I don't even know how many games I've seen now a bunch. So, uh, you know, I'll fly this week, just like I flew last week. Kim, you know, you were here for the bills first playoff win in 25 years. Mm -hmm. So being in that national media, has the perception of the bills changed maybe even just in the last four years under Sean McDermott? I mean, I would think so. Um, you know, I just kind of worry about what I think in the media, to be honest. Like, obviously, I hear stuff, but I don't uh, I don't really let it affect how I think. I said a couple weeks ago on the air that I think we sometimes talk about the Bills like a little engine that could. And I said, I think we should stop that because I think they're a really good team uh, and they're managed very well. And they've been put together beautifully by Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott. So, um, you know, if if someone had 
somehow a subpar perception of the Bills several years ago and hasn't changed that, you know, I, I don't know what to tell them, you, you know, because the evidence is on the field, the evidence is in the, the drafting, the evidence is in the roster building. Uh, there's plenty of evidence to suggest the Bills are certainly one of the best run franchises in this league. Uh, and I say that with great confidence. Mm-hmm. And you look at what happened last week, you know, in the game against Indianapolis, which I thought had a phenomenal game plan on both sides of the ball and really performed well on special teams, an area where the Bills usually kind of get their advantage because of, you know, Andre R- Roberts and just the job that Heath Farwell has done with that, with the, all of those coverage units. But I thought that what we learned about the Bills last week that I think that in kind of juxtaposition to last year and the Houston game and the way that things kind of unraveled after the 16-0 start, they're pretty comfortable in close games against good teams. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to live that way, though, right? Mm. Especially not this Saturday. I was a little <laughs> surprised that after the digs go route for the touchdown, which I thought, A, might deflate the Colts a little bit, and I thought it would really send um, the Bills on their way. I was surprised the game got as close as it did after that in the fourth quarter. Uh, and that, that truly can't happen against these Ravens. The Ravens are like, you know, rabid dogs. I mean, they don't stop. So um, I, I do think that I, I also thought some of the tackling last week, um, you know, I know Jonathan Taylor is a good back. I know Naheem Hines uh, is a quick you know, hard to get a handle on back. Uh, they're both young players. Uh, they bring a lot of energy to the Colts, but it's going to be a different focus and a different um, challenge against Lamar and the Ravens. I do think the Bills are going to have to, at the very least, tackle better. I truly believe that. You know, you just used the word energy. And speaking of energy, the Bills had fans in the stands for the first yeah. time. What was, in your opinion, what was that like with those 6,700 uh, fans? It was great. I mean, they asked me, my NFL network asked me where I wanted to be pregame. And they don't usually ask me that, but I said the operational zone, which is as close as we can get to the field. And I was so glad we were there. I mean, for one thing, you saw Stefan Diggs throwing the ball into the stands uh, with fans. He got about, I don't know if he got exactly halfway across the stadium or not. And then he had to run in and, and get ready for, for warmups. But um, to see that, to see the fans starting to file in. And even when there were only about 20 behind us, I was like, we have fans here. It's awesome. Um, And then they were so loud. They were a lot louder than 6,700 people should be, I thought. So I think that's a good sign. I think that was because they were all condensed. They weren't in the upper realm of the stadium. They were all in like that bowl and then lower, which I thought was really smart, uh, makes sense, and uh, made it louder. So um, I thought the fans were greatly important, and I think they could be greatly important on Saturday. When we asked Josh about that this week, he's what his message to Bill's Mafia was. He was like, you know, be be safe, be loud, be proud. But the safe part is important because I saw some fan that posted on social media they broke their thumb from slamming on the uh, uh, the bleachers. So you know, be careful out there. It's dangerous. I know you're trying to make some noise. But, you know, we want to make sure everybody gets out of the stadium. Uh, I'm not sure how you break your thumb on the bleachers. I think that story might have been massaged a little bit. You could explain it maybe at home or somewhere. Because I don't, that one I'm not buying. <laughs> but it sounds really funny and kind of weird. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, it's Bill's Mafia. We've all been out yeah, in the so We know it gets a little that's weird. That's how I broke my thumb. <laughs> so 
what do you think about first impressions of this game? Well, we've been in these Zoom meetings the last couple couple days. Yeah. I'm sure you've you've been in on both sides of it. So you bring some, I have some it. added perspective. I have, oh, you I have, have not, it. I have not any Ravens this week. Nope. Okay, so we'll keep it Bill specific. But mm -hmm. what do you think is the biggest storyline? I mean, everybody's talking about Josh versus Lamar, and you know that's it's obviously fun. And but what do you think the storyline is going into this game? What's on the line for these two franchises at where they're at in their kind of build here with the two young quarterbacks? Well, I think the first storyline um, for the Bills, in my opinion, is the defense and the defense being gap sound and being sound overall. And, uh, you know, any of those words you want to use about having to keep Lamar in the pocket, which won't work all the time, as we know, um, but without letting Lamar wreck a game. Uh, and that's going to need to me. And I said this last week. And I'm not sure what grade they would have gotten. And uh, even on our Zoom calls this week, Matt, I, I, I kind of, I, I didn't exactly ask what I wanted to ask, so I don't have the answer. But oh. I, I do think Tremaine Edmonds and Matt Milano are tremendously important this week because they are good tacklers. They are great athletes. Uh, they play every down. Uh, a lot of linebackers don't do that anymore. Those two do. And I think they are tremendously important because the front alone is not going to contain Lamar Jackson or J.K. Dobbins um, or like, you know, obviously not the receivers running routes. So I think that those two players to me are incredibly important. And that storyline is incredibly important. And then on the other side, listen, if Josh can keep doing what he's doing, spreading the ball around, um, it wasn't just digs. It was Cole Beasley, you know, seven receptions on seven targets on a knee that didn't feel great. And he says it feels better now. Um, John Brown, oddly to me, and again, this is another question I didn't get to this week, my fault, was John Brown, I think, had no no catches. And I think he had four targets. So I'm not exactly mm -hmm. sure what was going on with John Brown. But he's important to this offense. And in Trenton camp, you know, I, I my eyes kept going to 13. So I've been on Gabriel Davis's, uh, you know, fan train. Uh, for a while now. And I, I think Gabriel Davis can change this game because Gabriel Davis isn't one of your top couple priorities, but I guarantee you in two years, he will be. I guarantee you within two years, he will be. He is absolutely fantastic. He is mature. He has worked his tail off from everything I've heard and read. Um, and Gabriel Davis could change that game last week. He and Frank Wright changed that game last week. Mm. And, and at least Davis can do it again this week. Yeah, and Gabriel Davis, you know, I, I, they started to sprinkle in those four wide receiver sets a little bit last week, which I think everybody was waiting for once John Brown got back and healthy and, and got Cole back into the mix. But I want to go back to something you said about Tremaine Edmonds because I want to dig in a little bit more there. I think within the fan base right now, there's a big feeling that, for part of it at least, that he's trending towards, you know, the, the really upset fans are calling him, even calling him a bust, but it, there's there's definitely a sense that he's underperformed this year. Now, we've talked to Leslie Frazier week after week that we, we've chronicled the injury uh, impact that started at, start at the beginning of the season, but we just haven't seen the consistent level of play, I think, out of him that I think fans kind of grew accustomed to last season. What have been your impressions of Tremaine in terms of the, the whole the whole thing that we've seen this season? Yeah, I mean, for one thing, I'm a big fan of his. He's only 22 years old is what I would say to those fans. You know, I know it's his third season. He's still a young man. He's still He could be in this draft. He could be in next year's draft. You know, he's that young. So I do think there has to be some patience. Um, listen, I saw him in coverage, and I meant to, to tag the play for myself, and I don't think I did it. 
Um, there was a play where uh, you felt like um, the, the Bills' defense was going to get the Colts' offense off the field. And there was a play where he gave up um, a passing coverage, you know, 20 yards downfield. Mm. You know, I, I mean, I do think he's being asked to do a lot. I don't want to make excuses for him, though. But I am not someone who can sit here without having specifically asked McDermott or Frazier um, or someone else I trust um, what is going on there. So I, I truly don't know. I do know I watched him get hurt against the Jets. I watched Matt Milano get hurt against the Jets. And you never, ever want to see players hurt in the opener and then have it linger all year. So I don't know. I don't have all of those answers. Uh, I'm probably more forgiving than Buffalo fans because I'm not as emotionally involved in it. And I really do like everything I've seen and heard from Tremaine Edmonds. Is he the perfect player? Of course not. But does he still have a lot of room to grow? Um, my sense is the Bills would say yes to that. You know, Kim, another storyline going to this game is the weather. And, and it's not supposed to be a blizzard. It's not going to be like that Colts game in 2017. But there's pos the possibility of snow this week. And Lamar Jackson's come out and said he's never played in snow. Yeah. Uh, offensive linemen said the same thing. Is this being a little bit overplayed or could the weather actually play a little bit of a factor, even if it's just a little bit of uh, precipitation that gets on the field and makes things a little bit slippery? Yeah, I don't know much about how this field, you know, handles precipitation. Um, some fields, it wouldn't matter at all. Uh, Green Bay is funny like that because they, they invested in that system because they have to. They're in Green Bay. But um yeah, I, I don't exactly know that. I know Stefan Diggs said um, he has never played in snow and would not be looking forward to it. So, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't think the advantage swings totally to the Bills if there's snow. Um, you know, on NFL Network today, you know, I kept being asked, you know, either asked about snow or there was like the the, the idea there's going to be snow. And then they would ask me a question not about snow. I, I am I'm not aware of a forecast that has any precipitation that's going to um, accumulate, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but I'm not, I, you know, when I checked my phone 30 times today because of the whole snow thing, and I just, I don't see that in the forecast for Saturday. Again, I could be wrong. No, you're right. And I, I think that the latest report that I heard was that uh, we're trending in the direction of maybe even no snow. Uh, yeah. So, and it's, it's Buffalo. It changes by the hour. We'll see. <laughs> it's going to be cold. It's going to be a January game. We'll see how that plays out. One of the big uh, other storylines this week. I mean, if you go back and watch, the game last year when Baltimore played against Buffalo in week 14, you know, we asked Josh Allen about it this week. He had 146 yards, 50% completion percentage, one of his worst games of the season. Um, and he faced a ton of pressure, 31 blitzes uh, from the Baltimore Ravens. And, you know, Wink Martindale came out today and said, you know, Josh knows we're going to keep sending pressure. That's who we are. What have you noticed in terms of the development of Josh Allen and, and kind of who he's become this year that's allowed him to be better in that regard? I mean, I have to believe it's partly the natural maturation of a quarterback who's already really smart, already has a really big arm, already is a good enough athlete, and already has leadership skills. I think that there's just a natural progression in the third year. I don't think there's um, – there are different circumstances, but I don't think it's um, a coincidence that Baker is also having a good year in his third year. Lamar, we've seen have good years, and he's having another one this year, and he's He's a little different, obviously, in terms of skill set from those other players, just because his speed is just so overwhelming and he knows he can always count on that. So, um, you know, I just think it's probably part of the maturation for Josh. Um, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, listen, 
Uh, Martindale's going to blitz. It's what he does. I watched him blitz the hell out of the Giants late in the season when, you know, they already had the Giants like beaten into submission basically. And he kept blitzing. And that's what actually when Daniel Jones made a play or two, nothing, mm-hmm. nothing that, that threatened the, the Ravens ability to win. But, you know, when you blitz, you're going to give up some plays. And the one thing about Josh, he is first in the league um, against the blitz in terms of touchdowns, I believe 19 but he's definitely first in the league against uh, the blitz in, in touchdowns. And also in one other metric that I can't remember right now, but it was important. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think if you're going to, you know, challenge Josh Allen that way, he might beat you. A lot of quarterbacks may not, but we know that Josh Allen might because he's been really good against the blitz this season. So I do think that's going to be a really fun matchup in this game. You know, changing gears a little bit here, staying in the AFC East, however, there was a story today uh, about the Miami Dolphins and Tua and the fact that some teammates aren't sure whether or not this he can go toe-to-toe with the quarterbacks like Josh Allen was mentioned, Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson. Uh, we've seen Josh Allen and how much he developed from year one to year three, but some of these players are saying they're not sure what that X factor is besides his accuracy. Is it too early to really write off a quarterback like that after year one? Or do these do these anonymous Dolphins players maybe have something to it saying, you know, we're really not sure that he is the guy that's right for this team, and yet they're already handing the keys to him as their starter next year? Yeah, I mean, I didn't see the story, honestly. Um, would you have given up on Josh Allen after year one? I mean, Josh yeah. Allen after year one, you know, didn't put up good numbers. Um, he had a lot of work to do. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I knew I got to know Josh in his rookie year. I, I wouldn't, I, I don't know Josh well, even now. I mean, I would not pretend to know him well now, uh, but I've always enjoyed our conversations and I'm always grateful, you know, in our past lives in the locker room, he was always generous with giving me time, which I was always grateful for. Um, I thought that jo- I've always thought Josh Allen's the most self-aware quarterback I've ever covered. And that hasn't changed because he'll say, I have to do better. And a lot of quarterbacks say we, and it is a we sport. So I get that, but he, he's always been willing to shoulder that kind of a load. So as a human, I've always been really, Josh Allen has already been, always been very impressive to me as a human being. But, you know, what if, what if the right reporter went to Bill's players after his rookie season and said, you think this guy can really hit the broadside of a barn? And, and some anonymous player said, no, man, he can't even hit the barn. I mean, he's not going to get there. Like, I mean, that's the that's the unfortunate stuff that, A, we do in the media, and, B, that some people, and we don't know who, play into it by, you know, but with the granting of anonymity. I'm not a huge fan of that. Mm-hmm. But um, I would just, you know, I would just caution, because I think you probably could have found anonymous people after Josh's rookie year who would have said, like, ain't the guy, not going to get it, and look at him now. And he's worked his tail off. Uh, he has great coaching. He has really good teammates. But as someone who's big on personal responsibility, Josh gets the most credit for this. He has worked enormously hard, long hours. And uh, my sense is he remains very much that guy with a chip on his shoulder because he was told so many times that he wasn't good enough. And he has channeled that into all positivity for him in terms of uh, dealing with teammates um, making connections with teammates, both on the football field and as human beings, uh, handling good coaching. And, and I truly think becoming, you know, the, he, he's really an MVP candidate. So, uh, you know, long answer to a question about a story I didn't see, but 
I'm not a huge fan of like the anonymous bashing. If you're going to bash someone like, and you don't have the guts to put your name on it, I'm not sure why it sees print unless we are talking about something that is incredibly important to well-being. I don't know why we're doing that stuff. I, I like everything that you said there. And I think that that, you know, we do get into this, this kind of game in the media where, you know, everybody's trying to get a scoop and everybody's trying to do this and that. And then it kind of turns into, you know, to your point, just a little bit of a gross feeling because I think all situations are different. I think that's a big part of this too. Like you look at what's going on in Miami and I can understand if you're a couple players that, you know, you won 10 games this year and you're, you're watching from home as the playoffs start. And, right. you know, you felt like you had a good team and maybe you, you think somewhere in the building that, you know, if they would have went with Fitzpatrick more, you win another game, you're in the playoffs, whatever. I understand that. Yep. Um, but I think that Josh had the luxury of, coming in on the first year where there was there were no expectations. And unfortunately for Miami, they just won a little bit more than I think um, anybody anticipated. And that kind of changed the narrative in Miami a little bit. Listen, I think Josh's background, as hard as it was for him and as much as it challenged him from what I, I've gathered as a human being, I think it worked to his advantage. Mm -hmm. Like, think about Tua. He went there, you know, having played with – you know, how many NFL prospects at Alabama and everything looked easy. I, I mean, I probably, I'm a Penn Stater, so I watch Penn State, I watch the Big Ten, and then I probably watch Alabama games the most just because they're most interesting and they've got these ridiculous athletes every time you, you watch a game and watch a play and, and uh, you know, watch their roster turn over time and time again with, it seems like, better players. So, you know, I think Tua comes in with that kind of expectation. It was never going to be that easy. You know, it was never going to be that easy for him. He just made it look pretty easy at Alabama. Mm -hmm. Speaking of Alabama, uh, since coming from Alabama to Buffalo, Mr. Brian Dable has turned yeah. himself into quite the head coaching candidate. He's done just a, a phenomenal job. And I've been an apologist for three years to the point where I think people thought I was being a little bit of a homer because we're both from the area and everything like that. But, you know, you see the way for me in this business. I really take a lot uh, from what somebody that's around somebody says about that person mm -hmm. and everything that's come out of that locker room to me has been genuine, just passion about who Brian Dable is as a person and how he kind of goes about his business. Yeah. Now we're sitting here now, there's seven head coaching vacancies. Do you think Brian Dable ends up leaving and where do you think the best fit is? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know that I have a, a sense of that. If he, if he would, if he's leaving, or if he would leave, or whatever. I mean, you have to take a head coaching job, you would think, if you're offered it, mm -hmm. right? But you know, I can't speak for him on that, nor would I. Um, you know, I think about him with the Jets. Hypothetically, if the Jets keep Sam Darnold, hire, hire Brian Dayball, and then he gets to fix Sam. You know, Josh is good buddy. It, you know, in my mind, that's a scenario that could play out. You know, how realistic any of that is, I don't know. But. Um, I think he communicates beautifully. Uh, I think we saw, in my opinion, the best of Brian Dable in the aftermath of Josh losing his grandmother and the idea that we, I think we learned then how close Brian Dable and Josh Allen are and how he relies on Dable a lot um, and how Dable's helped Josh an awful lot. And, and let's be honest, Josh Allen's helped Brian Dable at this point too. Uh, so, you know, to me, that's the best of, you know, relationships in this business. And, and that's a locker room relationship. That's a, that's an organization relationship. But once in a while you meet people in this business who, you know, you're friends with forever or who matter in your life. And I, you know, I think that's a really cool part of this. Um, and for Dayball, you know, part of me would hate to see him leave Buffalo because they have something great going on. 
Uh, and part of me says, if anyone deserves a chance, you know, it's him. And he certainly has the resume to back up uh, anyone hiring him in this league. And speaking of impressive resumes is also Leslie Frazier, who uh, has drawn a little bit of interest, not nearly as much. Is is Frazier's, la- I don't want to say lack of interest, but not being at the top of the list like Dable has been, is it due to maybe the Bills taking a little bit of a step back this year or maybe the craze that teams are looking for that next great offensive mind? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, that I wouldn't, I don't know about that. I, I would hope that, that teams looking for coaches wouldn't say, well, I just want the best offensive line. That would be really silly of them in my opinion. But um, Leslie Frazier's just such a gentleman and I really enjoy his Zooms and, and uh, a guy who was a head coach and, and probably deserves a second chance. I, I think he has a, he said, he told us the other day, he has what, an interview with the Texans mm-hmm. uh, that'll be at some point. Um, and, and at this point, that's it. So he may need another year of this Bills defense kind of finding itself a little bit because let's be honest, they didn't start out. You know, I remember Zoom calls with Leslie Frazier early on where I was saying, is your defense okay with the fact that it's the offense leading your team? And he was like, no. Like I have prideful guys on defense who are used to closing these things out. Mm. And they didn't close things out. The offense had to do it. You know, so um, that kind of happens when, you know, a unit kind of takes a little bit of a dip. And now it's come back. And the takeaways have been, have helped it because takeaways, in my opinion, are more, worth more than just, you know, yards per rush or, you know, passing yards or whatever. Uh, I like the takeaway and I'll take that. And they've done a good job with that since I think week seven. Uh, but yeah, he may need a little, he may need a, another go round here for his defense to kind of put him in that position again. So let me ask you this before I let you get out of here. Um it kind of encompasses the the whole conversation that we're having here. But, you know, I think going into the season for me, you know, when we're writing our, our, our preseason stories and well, there was no preseason but training camp stories yeah. and looking ahead to the season, you know, I kind of, I think most people agreed that the division in a down year for the Patriots and a, a one playoff win was kind of where you got started with expectations. Now we're here. That's been accomplished. And I feel like the, expectations have risen quite a bit within the fan base and, you know, nationally there's, there's people picking the bills to go to the super bowl, even, even still national and local local. So I guess, where are you at, you know, looking in from, uh, you know, the national stage, like what, what do they need to do here? And have they done enough? Well, they've done a lot and have they done enough? I mean, there, there are probably 20 plus rosters in this league you'd put against the bills and, and you wouldn't have to go very far down the roster till you threw out the other team and said, the bills are better check. Let's let, look at the next group. You know, uh, the Bills are a great roster. They've done a terrific job of roster building. Um, you know, I, I, and nothing would surprise me. Like I can't say to you that I'll be shocked on Saturday night if it's Lamar and the Ravens walking out of Bill stadium with a win, I don't know how you would be shocked over that. Uh, I won't be shocked if the bills win. I think a blowout either way would shock me because I don't think this is going to be a blowout either way, but you know, either team could win this game. Um, I don't think there's any, I mean, listen, Daryl Williams doesn't cover that fumble the other day. You know, the Colts might win that game and, and you know, you and I, I presume wouldn't be having this conversation. So, you know, anything could happen. I truly think that, again, except I don't think it's going to be a blowout. And I think the Bills have – I really do think no matter what, and I know this is hard because the Bills fans want to go to a Super Bowl, and I completely understand that. I think no matter what, the Bills are so far down the path on the right track that the future 
is going to be very bright no matter what happens. I, I think they truly have found it. I think they've done a good job managing it. And I think with Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, the Bills are going to be a, a force to reckon with for a long time. Listen, I, I loved early on this season when Dayball, with his play, call, play calling against the Rams, had a drive where it was TJ Yeldon, Tyler Croft, um, Cole Beasley caught one pass. I think Isaiah McKenzie might have been on the field. Um, and he scored a touchdown against the L.A. Rams with those guys on the field. The Bills have gotten to a point where they can flex a little bit. And I think that's cool. I really do. I think it's cool. Do I think the defense has to catch up a little bit? Yes. But in this crazy season we're having, crazy life we're having right now, the defenses are further behind. They are a little bit behind. Can the Bills next year return to that really stout defense where you're saying, boy, they're not going to give up very much today? Yeah, I'm sure that they can. But, you know, overall, I just think – you know, it's it's cliche to some degree, but like the future for the Bills is bright no matter what happens Saturday. And if they win the Super Bowl, I would say the exact same thing. They are going to be a force to be reckoned with for a long time. And if I'm a Bills fan and I've waited all these years and I understand that and and you have, you know, all the history that you can look back on and it's, a lot of it's positive, but the end results were negative. I get it. But for the Bills... They are in as good a place, I think, as they could be in right now. What they have done in four years is remarkable. You can look around at some of the teams I cover here in this state. I cover the Jets and the Giants. The, the, the rebuilds are still just starting, or they're at maybe the midpoint. And in four years, the Bills have completely rebuilt. That's impressive. It really is. And it should be celebrated. My sense is no matter how this season ends, after everyone, you know, lets off some steam and exhales a little bit, they'll go into next season thinking again, hey, we can be there at the end because they could be. Great, great stuff. Travel so safe this weekend. Uh, we will see you at, it's funny, I've seen you a couple of times in this COVID world. I, I don't really go around and chat too much with people oh, because no. No we're kind does. of in like our weird little bubbles and we're like trying not to, yeah, we're all in masks. And so. in mask and it's a disaster. Then you try to eat something, you know, yeah, it's hard. <laughs> it's, it's been it's hard. We have not been very, you know, uh, welcoming to each other, but we can't be right now. I get it. <laughs> Well, we always enjoy you coming on the show, taking a little time. Uh, this was so fun. Uh, travel safe, like I said, and thanks again. Thank you guys very much. We'll see you Saturday. Take care. Ready for football? Tops is with ready-to-serve fan favorites everyone will cheer for. Delicious family or party packs like pizza, sliders, fried chicken, barbecue, or beef on whack. Starting at only $4 per serving. Perfect for game day and any day. Only at Tops. Stick around. We're just getting started here on the Shout Buffalo Bills football pot podcast brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets, your neighborhood store with more. And we got some big news, Ryan. If you look in the description on this video on YouTube, and I know that we're, out, we're live on Facebook and Twitter as well. Thank you so much for joining us there. Um, we're we're going to have a new home on, on YouTube because this thing has gone so well. We're almost at our 100th episode, which will be next Wednesday. Uh, we're so excited about that. Um, we decided we wanted a, an all-inclusive Bills channel for you guys. And so we're, we're creating a new one. We're going to start over from scratch. So do me a favor. Find that link in um, the description below. Click it. Go over to the other U YouTube page for a minute. Subscribe there. Set, turn on the notifications. Like the two videos that are there. Smash that like button. We're going to be saying that a lot more now as we kind of get that one going. Um, 
but we'll be live there on on Saturday after the game. So this is going to be our last show on the NY Up uh, main channel, and then we're gonna we're gonna be live there. So you'll miss us. You won't get those notifications anymore. So uh, on this channel, so you're gonna want to head over there. Uh, and it's exciting, Ryan. Yeah, and you know it goes back to the Bills Mafia and the support that you guys have shown for us over this time. Like Matt said, one uh, big 100th episode coming up here soon. So make sure you don't miss it. Head over to that new page, hit subscribe, smash the subscribe button as well as the like button. Yeah, we're going to be saying that a lot more. I'm going to feel like one of those cool kids, Ryan. Um, <laughs> our, all right, let's get into this. Um, you know, we're going to we're, we're going to be joined by another guest, Aaron Kaznitz from PenLive.com. He's a Baltimore Ravens beat reporter. He's going to join us. We'll start peppering him with some questions about, you know, some Baltimore Ravens intel. But before we get there, you know, let's first go over the injury report. And there was a couple names that have popped a little bit uh, this week that have kind of made you go, mm, interesting. Tremaine Edmonds has been limited the last two days. Uh, Ed Oliver has been limited. And Daryl Johnson is actually not practiced this week. And it's interesting because that's brought up another question. And if you go back and watch, the 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 Ravens game from last year, Trent Murphy was one of those guys. You know, Sha- Shaq Lawson was probably the defensive star of that game, but Trent Murphy was pretty good in that game. This could open up the door to Trent Murphy coming back as long as they could figure out or being activated, as long as they could figure out what to do with Daryl Johnson's special team snaps because um, Trent Murphy doesn't play special teams. Right, and Daryl Johnson is a standout on special teams, so that would be a significant loss in that area, but. Trent Murphy was great. You know, you know, you look at Trent Murphy, you look at Shaq Lawson, even Star Latulale last year. I thought uh, they all had really impressive games, e- even Lorenzo Alexander. So a lot of guys that aren't here anymore uh, or haven't been playing much, obviously, in the case of Murphy, had those outstanding games. So this could be that opportunity for Murphy to come back in. I'm sure he's going to play with the chip on his shoulder after being inactive all these weeks. But Leslie Frazier has gone out of his way to say, you know, he, he's been team first, We've told him how important he is to this defensive scheme and that when the, you know, his number could still get called. Well, you know, after two days of practice and seeing Daryl Johnson uh, not practicing or participating at all, that opportunity might be coming on Saturday night. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's talk about this Bills defensive line a little bit, because you go back, we went back and watched the Colts game and, you know, read some of the guys that do uh, the, the all 22 uh, stuff. Uh, Joe Piscalia, obviously we have him on all the time. Um, and it seems like Ed Oliver had himself a pretty good game. Uh, I know that there weren't, you know, the sack numbers or, or maybe even the pressures that you probably want, but against a dual threat offense, like I feel like the Indianapolis Colts proved to be, I mean, that's one of the things that I think gets left out of the conversation when you're talking about this offense is they were really able to attack the bills with their running game and their passing game. I thought Phillip rivers on second watch was really good in that game. I mean, he was accurate. I mean, a couple of those throws on some of those crossers were pinpoint and he gets the ball out of his hands quickly. He doesn't give you a lot of ways to uh, sack him and, you know, get him out of his comfort zone. So I think they did a pretty good job there. And I think the plan pretty much worked to take, to neutralize Jonathan Taylor's impact on the game. I know Naheem Hines got going, but Go back and look at it, Ryan. Ten points in three quarters. That's that's pretty good. Yeah, that's great. And you're right. Rivers was playing out of his mind last week. Uh, it's just that the few times that he did miss came at really good opportunities for the Bills. The fourth down play near the end zone. Uh, a third down play deep in Bills territory where he threw it behind his receiver. He was great. But going back to Ed Oliver, Oliver jumped off the page when you go back and watch. I think he finished with two tackles. So like you said, it doesn't show up on the stat sheet. Kind of like last year, all season, Latula stuff doesn't show up on the stat sheet. But he was getting 
into the backfield. He was pushing those offensive linemen back. And I think you and I, as well as any Bills fan, knew going into that game, the Bills weren't going to sack Phillip Rivers much or at all, and in this case, not at all. He gets the ball out very quickly, just like we've seen from other quarterbacks this year. So just by at least pushing those offensive linemen back and getting at least a little bit uh, of that penetration in, into the uh, into the backfield, maybe that forced Rivers to get the ball uh, rid of the ball a little bit more quickly. Uh, Ed Oliver getting into the backfield may have forced Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines to have to go into a different gap, and that could have blown up some of those plays because for every big run, there were also a few, uh, quite a few one-yard plays, two-yard plays, a few tackles for loss. So uh, I thought Ed Oliver really did have the best game along that defensive line against the Colts, and it's going to be really important not just for Ed Oliver, but for that entire defensive line to play such disciplined football on Saturday night. One of the big um, areas that I'll be watching in this game is, you know, we spend so much time talking about how Josh Allen is going to deal with that Baltimore pass rush. And I actually like, you know, a couple numbers here, according to pro football focus, uh, the against the Titans. And I know Derrick Henry was featured in that game. I think he got 18 carries, which isn't a crazy high for him, but you know, when they're, when you're leaning on your running game, the way the Tennessee is, I guess you wouldn't, you know, uh, I'm not surprised that these numbers are what they are, but just seven pressures for the Baltimore front one sack. And they only blitzed, uh, 10 times, nine times. And six of them came from Patrick queen. So he's going to be somebody to watch in this game as I think that he's kind of coming into his own a little bit, but Really, the, the guy to watch is, you know, Matthew Judon. I think he could do a lot of different things. I think he's a ver versatile pass rusher. I'm excited to maybe ask uh, Aaron a little bit about him. And if if he's noticed this season and, you know, in general, how Martindale chooses to deploy him and if he kind of, you know, does different things with him. Because I think that's that's one of the areas where Josh is so good. And I, I have a point here. I'm going to get to it. But is where that second part of the play, when he's able to evade the pocket and a lot of times – defenses aren't built for that second tier pass rush, that second part of the play pass rush, where I think if Matthew Judon is, is used properly, or even Patrick Queen, if he's your main blitzer, he can be a real dangerous, I don't want to even call him spy, but somebody that can impact the play, get sideline to sideline and affect Josh Allen a little bit. But here's the thing. I'm really focused on this offensive line. Josh Allen told uh, us in the Zoom meeting this week that, What's the most important this week going up against a team like Baltimore is your protection plan. Everybody knows what their job is and they execute that at a high level. I thought overall the offensive line played well last week and they played even better when I went back and watched it. But, you know, Josh Allen's still kind of floating around back there and having to kind of dip and dive and there was some pressure and he's going to probably see a little bit of that this week. I mean, Calais Campbell on the line is probably their most consistent pass rusher. Uh, he's a little bit older and I think he's been banged up a little bit at times this year. Um, but if this offensive line plays as well as it has at its best this season with this in this current iteration, that's where I feel like the Bills have the biggest advantage and kind of neutralize Baltimore even when they decide to blitz. Yeah, neutralizing that that pressure is going to be key. Uh, you said it best. They, Wink Martindale blitzes a lot. He's playing to blitz a lot. Uh, you mentioned against Tennessee that wasn't the game plan, but like you said, Henry was. Buffalo doesn't have that type of back. They, they you know, they're pretty much unknown at that running back position. Uh, Singletary had a nice game against them last year, but who knows what to expect out of that unit this year in this playoff game. So they're going to be coming at Josh Allen. So from Deion Dawkins all the way to Darrell Williams, it's really important, like you said, 
pre-snap, okay, I have this guy, I have this guy. Maybe you keep Singletary in it as pass protection, or if it's TJ Yeldon as running back two, Yeldon. The Bills have to be able to match those blitzes, not just in terms of protection, but also in terms of what they're doing downfield. But it's funny you mentioned Josh Allen and his ability to extend plays. Right before we came on here, I I published an article where Richard uh, Sherman, who played against Allen this year, said that Allen reminds him so much of Aaron Rodgers because just like Aaron Rodgers, he's so casual about extending the plays. When he does that, that's when he hurts you. If he can extend a few plays on Saturday night against this Ravens pressure, someone has a good chance of getting open, whether it's Diggs, Brown, Beasley, Gabriel Davis, or even some of those backs or tight ends, because those are the two areas where the Ravens have struggled in the passing game against the backs, where again, I'm going to mention his name for a second time, TJ Yeldon. Uh, has a, a history of catching the ball in his career, is a pretty good uh, receiver. And then even Dawson Knox. I know he's always been an X factor some games. Uh, he looks like the next big thing. Other games, you wonder why he is tight end number one, but he could even play a really big role in the outcome of this game. Scott Carter on YouTube, uh, good question here. So I, I, I want to flash it up. And if you guys have questions, we'll start doing this more. I know we don't do it a lot. And, and part of the reason is, is because, Doing, you know, I give a shout out. I was just on Rico's show uh, on Buffalo Fanatics. They do a great job on the whole network of integrating the comments into the show. So I'll try to do a better job of that. It's just tough when we got the guests and everything like that. But left last year's game, thinking if Josh could throw an accurate deep ball, they would have gone for forty plus points. Do you think the Bills will create so many open shots downfield this time around? More open shots down the field. I think that's a great question, Scott. And I think the one of the key components to that for me is John Brown. Can he come out and make an impact in this game and be um, an option and, and take advantage of the throws that he gets? Listen, I think Cole Beasley is going to get work in this game. He's going to be closer to 100%. I feel like he's going to be an important piece to the puzzle. And I think Marlon Humphrey, for as good as he is, proved last week, and it was against a bigger receiver, but you know he's beatable in, in certain matchups. And so Marcus Peters, he takes chances. Uh, Jimmy Smith's really good, but he's a little bit older and he's been banged up. So there's you can take you could take some chances down the field. And I think you know if John Brown can be that guy that we've seen at at various points of the season. I mean, he came back in his first game back, had that touchdown grab, and we all know what he did in September. Yeah, I think I think this could be a game where the Bills try to go strength for tr- strength, get four wide receivers on the field, maybe. Maybe it's Gabriel Davis who's the guy that's you know going to be the guy the beneficiary and gets pushed downfield to your earlier point. And obviously Kim talked a little bit about him. They have they have a multitude of weapons, and I don't know if Baltimore has enough people back there to stop them. Yeah, thirty one blitzes, twelve quarterback hits, six sacks last year. Those were the stats that the Ravens put up against Josh Allen. And Allen missed some deep balls in that game, and he missed some shots that this year I'd be stunned if he missed them again. So I, I still think that Martindale is going to send the house a lot. But if Allen hits one or two of those shots early in the game, Martindale is going to have to kind of come up with another alternative strategy, possibly. Maybe not blitz as much because, hey, we've tried it three times now and twice Allen's made a big play. And I'm not saying they have to go for touchdowns by any means, but if he hits a 30-yard ball or if he, he moves the chains because he read it well and he dropped it off to the right guy, all of a sudden, Martindale's going to say, okay, he, he's seeing this field. He's reading our defense significantly better than one year ago. See that comment there on Dawson Knox? Poor Dawson Knox. People just, uh, you know, they they, they just they, they just want to get in there on, on Dawson Knox. He said, 
Uh, just what I need to, a, a game to rely on Dawson Knox and uh, Mary here. Brown is going to want revenge on the Ravens. Don't forget that, you know, he, he played uh, for Baltimore. Actually, if you go two matchups ago, John Brown had a pretty decent game against the bills in that 47 to three blowout. That was actually my first regular season game covering the bills. And it was quite a welcome to the beat uh, as, as Nathan <laughs> Peterman uh, couldn't even make it uh, through the third quarter. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, Dawson Knox, I think he's gaining confidence. Ryan and like are you going to have maybe some of the headaches with him still where you know whether it be the drops or whether it just be missed blocks yeah he's he's in his second season he's young I think that's another piece something that I really like that that Kim said especially on Tremaine Edmonds is you got to remember where they're at in their development the the youth and how much is on Tremaine Edmonds played I still think that there's a learning curve to be expected considering he's being asked to do something he didn't do at the college level and I know he's played the middle linebacker position now for three seasons but I mean, Tom Brady's out here saying he's still learning every every week. I mean, that's the way that this league works. And I think it was Cole Beasley who said, you know, this league has a funny way of teaching you something week in and week out, even when uh, you don't know that it's coming. And I think that's so true. I agree with that completely. And, and just look at Knox last week. I know he, he didn't do much besides that touchdown reception, but look at that touchdown reception. He had the wherewithal to continue his route because he knew that Allen had the option to throw on that play. But it, it looked like he was running no matter what. He, he was blocked up. He, he moved out a little bit. He kept running. He could have stopped his route and said, oh, that's, he's going to get tackled. He's going he's gonna to lose a yard possibly or get stopped at the line. But he kept running, and he got himself open. So at the last possible second, Allen could see him and throw that ball. And sure enough, it led to seven big points for the Bills in, in a very close contest against the Colts. Yes, it did. And we are going to keep this uh, party moving along here. We're going to we're going to be joined here in a moment by our next guest. Let me fix the uh, all this technical stuff. You know, I just got to make sure everything's right. Aaron Kaznitz from PenLive.com, my buddy. And actually, speaking of my first game on the beat, when I covered that uh, Baltimore Ravens (laughs) shellacking of the Bills, uh, Aaron and I got together way back then, did one of our first videos together. And every time there's been a Bills uh, game versus the uh, Ravens or off-season stuff, Aaron's always been really awesome with his time. So he's back. What's up, my friend? How are you? Good, good. How you guys doing? We are you know, still covering football in January. And I feel like for in, in the COVID world, more than anything, that's a benefit because we can go back to, you know, once this is over, we're all, we're just going mean, to, we're going to stay in our houses. We're going to stay in our basements and our, in our offices, but at least we have something to talk about and something to cover. And I think that's exciting. Absolutely. Especially for you guys in Buffalo. It's been, uh, been a while, huh? All the fans are going to be hot in the comments now. Yes. It has <laughs> been quite a while. Uh, but no, I get what you're saying. It's, you know, there's there's energy in the city, and it's 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 something that I'm I'm sure Baltimore Ravens fans have experienced a lot over the you know this century, and with a lot of good teams, couple Super Bowls. But what I want to ask, actually start with you about is, you know, this season was kind of progressing, interesting in Baltimore, where you know coming off of Lamar's MVP season, a lot to prove in in year three, and it almost seemed like for a while there they might not even make the playoffs. What was going wrong, and how have they kind of righted the ship a bit? Yeah, it was kind of a combination of things. Uh, they had that three-game losing streak, and everyone wants to point to the big coronavirus outbreak, which, of course, was a problem. But they had lost four games 
they lost three or four before uh, the positive test started to roll in. Um, so I, I really think the, the big thing that happened was that the offense just wasn't clicking. It wasn't gelling. I think Lamar Jackson and the, the entire offense kind of had to adjust to the way defenses were playing them. And then all of a sudden the Ravens lost their best offensive lineman, Ronnie Stanley out for the year with a knee injury, their, their top blocking tight end, Nick Boyle out for the year with a knee injury that they already uh, were missing right guard, Marshall Yonda, an eight time pro bowler who retired. And it, it just didn't, didn't look like they were quite in sync. Uh, but then all of a sudden, bang. I mean, once they got out of that COVID coronavirus outbreak, the running game started working five of the last six games. have had more than 230 rushing yards, which, you know, it's just an insane number. Um, they figured it out. Uh, can they figure it out, you know, to compete against a team like the bills? We'll see. But, but early on you worried, maybe they just didn't have the pieces. Maybe, you know, without the offensive linemen, maybe the way defense were playing them, maybe the offense would never click, but it, it turns out like it, like it has. You know, where, where is the strength specifically on this offense in terms of teams can't stop Lamar and, and especially Dobbins? So what's making uh, them so strong at the right time of year? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the big thing about the Ravens rushing attack is, is it's so diverse. Um, Dobbins didn't really start getting that many carries until you know, midway through the season and, and kind of took on that more of a lead back role midway through November. But when you have a Lamar Jackson, you, you can never, you know, you, you not only do you not know if they're going to run or pass in every play, you don't know who's going to run the ball. And, and they've done a better job this year of, you know, mixing in some, some wide receiver sweeps on occasion, some, some plays like that. And, and you really can keep defenses guessing, uh, certainly using the read option as everyone knows. Um, and, and Lamar's a good enough passer that if you crowd the line of scrimmage, he, you know, he, he can beat you deep as a lot of teams have, have seen. So I think that's the big thing is, is just you don't know who's going to run the ball. Uh, Greg Roman, the offensive coordinator, has done a great job, who was in Buffalo, done a great job of just creating schemes, creating ideas to, to keep defenses off balance. And even if you know the Ravens are going to run the ball, it's not easy to, not easy to stop when, when they've got a guy like Lamar Jackson sort of orchestrating it all. Mm -hmm. You know, the Bills, Bills fans have watched um, an interesting development in the backfield this year. Devin Singletary as a rookie was really good. Uh, I think was top five in the league in yards per carry as a rookie, 5.4. He's down to four and a half this year, sharing a backfield with Zach Moss, who went in the third round. Uh, kind of slow start, has didn't really get going, and then kind of turned it on late in the year, started to get a little bit more time. And by by the time he got injured, I mean, he's he's kind of almost overtaken that featured back role in terms of just the workload. He was getting more carries than, than Devin Singletary most weeks. In Baltimore, J.K. Dobbins, I feel like it was a slow start as well, but what he's turned into now, I mean, he's playing so good. Mark Ingram doesn't really play anymore, right? Yeah, Mark Ingram has been inactive a few of the last, a healthy scratch a few of the last uh, three of the last four weeks just because they don't need him. He doesn't play special teams. And the backup uh, the Ravens have, I guess you call him backup running back, is Gus Edwards, who the last couple of years he's been a great big power runner. You like to have him active because he's a change mm -hmm. of pace. Dobbins is that kind of lead back guy who can do it all. Um, and some games Edwards even get more carries than Dobbins, but but Dobbins has replaced Mark Ingram as the, you know what you would consider the starter. Um, he's a very very explosive player. Um, he can get he can get on the edge. Uh, he he can tough enough to run through the tackles. And in the past, when he played at Ohio State, he was he was carrying the ball 300 times a year. You know, at the, at the end of his mm -hmm. career at Ohio State. This year, because they worked him in slowly, he's 
really fresh. It doesn't seem like he's, you know, a lot of rookies that have a rookie wall. He's had his lowest workload since he's been in college, you know, since he, since his freshman year of college. So he's fresh, he's playing well. And him and Edwards are great compliments to Lamar because, you know, Lamar has the speed to get to the outside. These guys, you know, they can hit the holes on the inside and, and that's kind of the, the engine of their offense right there. You know, one of the biggest storylines going to this week has been Josh Allen versus Lamar Jackson, but they're not playing against each other. It's going to be uh, it's going to be Josh Allen versus Wink Martindale's defense. And last year, Martindale drew up a great game plan. And we we're just talking about it. 31 blitzes, 12 quarterback hits, six sacks. Fast forward one year, Josh Allen has been brilliant against the blitz. So in this chess matchup, so to speak, if Josh Allen starts making some plays uh, against this Wink Martindale defense. Does Martindale maybe call off the blitzes and adjust on the fly? Or do you see him continuing to bring that pressure and trying to go with what's brought them to the dance, so to speak? Yeah, that's a good question. It's going to be fascinating to see how the game you know, unfolds and the adjustments both sides make. Uh, they will not re- reel back on the blitz to the extent, you know, that most teams, it's, they're not going to be, you know, like some of these teams that, that, don't like to blitz and, and only pull it out every now and then that's not going to be the case, but will he use it less than he did last year? I assume so. I assume that's part of the game plan just because Allen's been so good and those receivers are so good in one-on-one circumstances. Um, so yeah, I think he'd use the blitz a little less, but it's not, he's still going to come and he's still going to be creative with it. The Ravens really pride themselves on uh, kind of they designed a defense where, where players can on the fly, see something and, and blitz and, and they'll have a lot of, you know, things that they can do based on what they see the bills doing. They're not going to, they're not going to sit back and let the bills bring it to them. But that said, I mean, you're absolutely right. Just looking at Josh Allen's numbers against the blitz and, and seeing, seeing him play every week, you can't bring rushers at him every time. Cause he's going to pick you apart. The fascinating matchup to me is, is the bills obviously have one of the best receiving cores in the NFL, but the Ravens, if Marcus Peters is healthy, he, he's missed two days of practice, but the Ravens have three really good corners and Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey, Jimmy Smith, if you blitz and you're leaving those guys one-on-one, you're going to have a Stefan Diggs versus a Marcus Peters or, or a Cole Beasley versus a Marlon Humphrey. Those matchups are going to be really, really key. It's going to be really fascinating to watch one of the best secondaries and one of the best receiving cores go at it because um, that's just as important. If if, if you blitz Josh Allen and, and you cover well, you can have success. If you blitz Josh Allen and you don't cover well, he, he's really going to pick you apart. One of the things, and I want to ask you about Patrick Queen and Ryan, remind me if I forget, because I want to get into him a little bit. But while we're here on the corners, I want to ask you about a matchup strategy question, because I feel like when the Bills were going well in the first part of the season, and that's really only September, um, was when we got to see that their full complement fully healthy together at the same time with John Brown, Cole Beasley, Gabe Davis, Isaiah McKenzie, Stephon Diggs. That's going to ideally be the case this weekend and with Cole Beasley healthier. And so I'm, I'm thinking that maybe their best um, weapon against that kind of blitzing mentality is to go four wide and, and maybe, you know, go uh, 10 personnel and try to stretch out and, and kind of test their depth at the corner position. What, what kind of lives after those top three names in terms of what they're able to do coverage wise? It's interesting you mentioned that because several teams have had success being able to do that against the Ravens. The, the Steelers are a good example. Uh, the, the first time the Ravens and Steelers played, the Steelers did not move the ball well at all in the first half. In the second half, they just scrapped everything and just went four wide and, and got into some of that cornerback depth and, and moved the ball well against the Ravens and ended up beating them. 
Uh, so yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that's that's a, a, a way that Brian Dable and and that that group can attack the Ravens. Uh, after Jimmy Smith, Marks Peters, and Marlon Humphrey, uh, Anthony Averett is the number four corner who's been he was a fourth round pick in 2017 or 2018. Excuse me. Uh, he's got some experience. He's a pretty good player. Um, he he's a really quick guy, but he's not necessarily strong. Not a great tackler. Not great in the slot. So he he's a guy who who maybe would be a good matchup for John Brown, but if the Bills draw that matchup right, they could pick on uh, pick on Anthony Averett. And then uh, after that, uh, 37-year-old Tremont Williams, who they picked up midseason, is probably the mm-hmm. number five corner. Uh, you know, great veteran. You know, uh, I'm, I'm impressed that, that he's been able to contribute. But I think, if, I think if the Bills are able to spread the field and attack a guy like Tremont Williams, especially if, if injuries hit, like I said, Marcus Peters has the Ravens cornerback has missed a couple practices. Jimmy Smith has been banged up all year. If you're forcing Tremont Williams onto the field and you can attack him in coverage, I think that's something you can do. Um, some teams have had success using tight ends and stuff like that against the Ravens to get a guy like a Patrick Queen in coverage. Um, but the Bills, their strength is their receiving core, so why not try and test the the Ravens the Ravens cornerbacks? And if you can get beyond that top three, then they're a little more susceptible. Take me back to training camp real quick before we move to Queen. Um, 2019, 2018, John Brown's lone year. Uh, how much did he go up against Jimmy Smith, if you can remember, in practice? And what were those battles like, if you do remember, if they even matched up against each other? They did a little bit. I actually think he he was a little bit more uh, matched up with Marlon Humphrey at that point. Um, okay. Because Humphrey's played a lot in the slot this year, but Tavon Young has, has been their slot guy, and he was healthy at least at the beginning of training camp. Um, but yeah, both, both against Humphrey and Smith, there, there's a couple of times he, he really burned Humphrey and Humphrey was only in his second year at that point. Um, and that was impressive back then. Joe Flacco was the Ravens quarterback and he's got a really big arm. Um, certainly not the same player that Josh Allen is, but, but, but probably similar in terms of being able to release the deep balls. And he really burned both Humphrey and Jimmy Smith on some deep balls. And I'm excited to watch him because I really like John Brown, both, both getting to know him in the locker room, but also he's a fun player to watch and, you know, hopefully he's healthy and, and that'll be a really good matchup matchup to watch on the, uh, on the edge there. I remember so you talking mentioned- about that. That's why I, I or I remember yeah. you writing about that. I was, when I was talking to you about John Brown as an off season target, I remember you writing about the training camp that he had and it got me thinking yeah. that some of those matchups would have been funny, but moving on. To, to yeah. Mr. Queen. That'll be fun. Yeah. So Patrick Queen, his name's come up a few times here. What should Bills fans know about him in terms of how he's being utilized by Wink Martindale and what his responsibility could be on Saturday night? Yeah, so they've they've used him in a lot of different ways. He's not your traditional big-bodied, you know, tough middle linebacker. He's not he's not a Ray Lewis, I guess. You know, people in Baltimore would say he's very much a modern linebacker in that he's a great blitzer. Uh, he he flies to the ball. He goes sideline to sideline, but it's not necessarily like he, he's stuffing the run. Um, when he's run into some issues, it's been in kind of zone coverages, that sort of thing, which I think is typical of a, of a first-round rookie. Um, but he's a, he's very fast. He's as fast as, as I've ever seen in terms of a linebacker um, on any team I've covered. And just a guy who has a good nose for the ball. He's got a couple interceptions, got a couple sacks, got a couple forced fumbles, fumble recovery for a touchdown. He's really – he hasn't been a super polished player for the entire season, but he's been a playmaker, if that makes sense. Um, and it's interesting you guys bring him up, but I'm actually doing a story. I talked to his dad the other day. He, uh, his thing at LSU, he didn't play much his first couple of years at LSU. Um, cause he was behind Devin white who, who, you know, top 10 pick. 
Hmm. Uh, but then his the the year he did play at LSU, they won the championship, and he was his the the year in the in the college football playoffs, his final two games uh, in the championship. He, those were his best games. And that's what the Ravens said when they drafted him is we wanted this guy. Cause as soon as the lights got brighter, he played really, really well. And so it's going to be interesting. A guy like that, who's got some playmaking knack, you know, how do you manage him in, in a game like this, where it's a big stage, it's a, it's prime time, it's a visual round playoffs. I think the Ravens are going to want to put him into a few positions, maybe where he's blitzing, maybe where he's got a chance to make a play. Is he going to do it? Maybe is he too amped up? It'll be really interesting to watch him especially because he's going to be the guy who you know when they run those design design runs with Josh Allen he's going to be a guy who, who might meet him in the hole and, and that'll be you know fun to see what happens when uh, when those two goes go head to head I got a couple more things for you here but before I do quick shout out to everybody watching on YouTube the numbers are climbing and I, I want to get a shout out this is our last show on the NY up channel we're moving where we have a new home Buffalo Bills on NY up it's going to be an all bills dedicated channel so the link to that channel is in the description of this video right now click that while you're watching go over there subscribe so you make sure that you are in uh you get the the notifications when we go live for our shows uh we will be on that channel on saturday night sunday morning more more likely uh when we're live with post game uh, of the ravens uh aaron who do you think i mean this is a defense that I think is just universally respected and you could tell the way that Brian Dable, Josh Allen talk about them. I mean, they've thrown the film early in the week and then they come to the podium, the, the zoom podium and start talking about it. And you could see the respect that kind of oozes out of it uh, based on what they see year in and year out from these guys who is maybe somebody that on this Ravens defense that maybe doesn't get talked about enough, but deserves maybe in your opinion, more credit or, or more shine. Yeah, that's a good question. I think the guy this year that a lot of fans would point to is, is Derek Wolf, who it's, a, it's his first year here in Baltimore, but the Ravens really, really liked him. Uh, he, he was a veteran. He, he, he won a Super Bowl with the Broncos. He was kind of Von Miller's setup guy, I think you would call him, in Denver, where where he would you know attract the blockers, allow Von Miller to get a one-on-one -on, -one on the outside. But earlier this year when the Ravens were hitting some of their struggles, um, Clayus Campbell and Brandon Williams, their, their two best defensive linemen, were out. Derek Wolf played really, really well, kind of holding their own. And, and last week against the Titans, the Ravens were able to, to handle the Titans because some unsung guys, a, a Derek Wolf, a Pernell McPhee, guys who set the edge really well, they did a great job against the Titans. So that would be big. Uh, and the other guy I think Ravens fans would want me to point out would be a Chuck Clark. Uh, he's their safety. He calls play. You know, not, not too many safeties wear the green dot in the NFL, but. Uh, he took over last year when Tony Jefferson got hurt and Chuck Clark, he's not your playmaking big hitting. He's not your Ed Reed, you know, safety, but he's the guy who's kind of that glue to that defense because smart guy really is able to communicate and he gives them some flexibility because he can play in the box. He can play deep and he allows them to match up with all different sorts of offenses. He, he's the guy who allows them to, you know, match up against a, against the Titans because he can, you know, sneak up into the box and play like a linebacker. Or against the Bills because because he can you know has, has cover skills as well. So uh, those those are some guys: Chuck Clark, Derek Wolf, Pernell McPhee. Those are some guys who uh, maybe deserve a little more credit than they get for making the Ravens defense what it is this year. So Aaron, Saturday night, how do you see this game unfolding? And if you do, could you give us maybe a prediction in terms of how you see the final score playing out? Yeah, I was on another show. Uh, yesterday, and I just had no. I had, this game, I could see a blowout either way, to be honest, because I think the Ravens 
running game could really take advantage of the Bills, but also if the Bills get going and if for whatever reason, you know, Allen gets into a rhythm and, and the, the Ravens blitz isn't getting home, I could see the Bills running away with it. I, I could see it going either way. And on the show, the, the first two guys picked the Ravens, so I decided to, you know, be the odd man out and pick the Bills. So I'm going <laughs> to stick with that. Um, maybe like a 31-27. Um, like I said, I, I really think it's going to come down to, particularly on third down where the Bills are really good, I, th- I think the Bills receivers are going to be in a lot of one-on-one matchups with some all-pro caliber Ravens corners. I think whoever comes out on top more often is probably going to be the team that gets the edge because I think both teams are going to be able to score, but I, I think if the Bills can stay on the field, if, if their receivers can beat the Ravens corners regularly, they'll have a good shot. And uh, I think the Bills receivers are, are good enough that, that they'll at least make it really interesting. So um, I took the Bills 31-27. There it is. You can find him. Uh, give him your Twitter handle because go follow him. I've retweeted him a couple times this week, but great perspective from the other side. What's the what's the handle? Yep, at Aaron Kaz, K-A-Z, uh, reports, Aaron Kaz reports, and uh, penlive.com slash Baltimore dash Ravens. We got you know coverage just like you guys have up there in, uh, in Buffalo. Awesome, man. Well, in, enjoy the game. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm bummed that I can't get you a beer or something when you get into town, uh, but we'll do that uh, hopefully next year when we're – free of all this madness yep absolutely thanks guys enjoy it all right take care man ready for football with every game a home game tops is ready for you with its tv a day giveaway for six weeks every day you shop is a new chance to win a massive 70 inch 4k tv shop tops for the best deals in town in store or online to win don't go anywhere yet we're not done we're not done we're almost done we're gonna give we're gonna dive into this buffalo side of things here um a little bit, give our predictions before we get out of town because these Saturday games kind of uh, limits us a little bit in terms of what we can do um, time-wise. There's just not enough time in the week when it's a short week like this, uh, you know. And I, I kind of like keeping the Wednesday show because it's kind of our staple. And and I, and next week will be episode number 100. We're working on multiple guests. We got our big one. I'm really excited for it. I think some of you UFC fans will be excited as well. Um, big week next week. Conor McGregor returning. So. We'll talk a little bills. We'll talk a little bit of that. Cause I know that, you know, the, the Dana white one, obviously uh, everybody really enjoyed that. So uh, go back to the UFC world. There'll be a lot of bill stuff too. Hopefully, uh, you know, maybe uh, I don't want to ruin anything. I want it to be able to be a surprise, but just, just know we're working on a good show next week for one 100. If you're on YouTube right now, if you're just joining us and we have a big audience there right now, live, we're so thankful for you guys. I mean, you, you, the qu- the questions, the comments, it's so fun to, you know, even sometimes, Ryan, I go back and check out the comments section on YouTube because there's a lot of uh, good discourse uh, uh, within the fan base uh, on this platform, and, and I, I appreciate it. But we're moving. We're going to Buffalo Bills on NYL. We've created an all-inclusive Bills channel. I've mentioned it a couple times tonight. You can find the link in the description below. Just click that, head over there, hit subscribe. You're all set. Like the two videos that are up there. Smash that like button. Ryan, you say it. You say it so much better than me. Smash that like or subscribe button. And, Matt, you just mentioned it, man. I'm looking at the comments. We have some Ravens fans in here tonight. Uh, Yeah, it's pretty lively. So I've been enjoying following along there when I can. But, yeah, head over to the new page. Smash that like. Smash that subscribe button. Uh, And then, obviously, head over to our podcast platforms, too, not to get too far ahead of ourselves. But also rate, subscribe, and review there, too. Matchups to watch, one from each of us. Let me start here. I, I wrote about Cole Beasley today, and 
you know, I asked him about his matchup this week and, and going up against Mar Marlon Humphrey potentially uh, for, you know, a good duration of this game. And it's such an interesting matchup because I mentioned earlier that, you know, Humphrey did a good job against uh, or did an okay job at times against AJ Brown, who was hurting last week uh, a little bit. He had that one touchdown where he just bodied Humphrey in the end zone. It was, it was pretty, pretty special of AJ Brown who tends to have to make special plays, but this is an interesting one because you know, Cole Beasley mentioned that Humphrey moves well for a bigger guy, but that's a good, you know, observation to know about. He is a bigger guy and he's going to, if he's going to be tasked with, with Cole in the slot, that twitchiness, that ability to get off the line of scrimmage and get open quickly, that's going to be something to watch. And I think that, you know, Cole Beasley's revved up after that game. I took, that's what I took away from his zoom call this week. He, there was an energy there and a renewed vigor and a renewed like sense of, you know, we're here now. This is the divisional round. Everything's on the line. Like the, the fact that he came back to play last week, probably one week, at least early tells you how important this run is to this team. And I think that's a matchup to watch because I don't know what they're going to do against Stefan Diggs. Like, like Aaron mentioned, they're, they're probably not going to be able to double him. There's too many weapons for the bills. They'll probably sprinkle different things, whether it be Smith, whether it be Peters, we'll see how that ends up playing out. I still think that he has the potential for a big game too. But I think that Cole Beasley is going to be the fact that he's going to be healthier and the fact that all of them are going to be healthy. This could be a big Cole Beasley game. This could be a big John Brown game. I mean, the fun thing for a Bills fan is there's so many things that could happen offensively good in your favor. What's your matchup that you're looking at? Yeah, I'm going to go with Buffalo's running backs in terms of pass the passing game. One, pass protection, because at times they're going to have to stay back there and and take on those blitzers. Uh, Yeldon and Singletary both had success in that in that area. But also as pass catchers, that is one area where the Ravens have a little bit of weakness. And if you're sending a lot of pressure and you're sending heat and Allen can get it out to those backs and see what they can do after the catch, that could be big for this team in terms of moving the chains, picking up chunk plays. We know Yeldon's history as a receiver in this league. He's had some success there. And Devin Singletary, where is he at his best? When he's out in open space and he can use that, uh, you know, make you miss in a phone booth type uh, play where he can kind of, you know, make you turn your ankles a little bit. So I think that they can also be big time X factors in this passing game. I think the Bills are going to come out and pass the ball a lot. I think they know that this run game is what it is. It's not going to be overly successful uh, you can't go away from it entirely, but I think those backs could play a big role in their passing game on Saturday night. Very good. Let's get into our prediction here as we wrap up uh, this episode. Number 98, podcast number 98. We started in April, man. This has been a, a full court press. I mean, we have not messed around. We have been bringing you guys show after show, and it's been fun. I mean, I've, I've really enjoyed it. Um, but let's get to this prediction. I got the Bills winning this game. 28-24 is where I think I'm officially landing. Um, I I honestly think that 24 is going to be a late score for the for the Ravens, and, and this is maybe like down the stretch in the fourth quarter is a two-score game or becomes a two-score game. I don't think it's going to be as close as 28-24, but I think it's the playoffs, and you know these are two good teams. I, I really like two factors for me lead me into that. And number one is – Everybody's talking about how much the, the the Baltimore defense tends to to knock the ball out, and I think it's like fifty eight fumbles uh, this season on both sides of the ball. That's great, and they've forced a lot of fumbles, but they've also fumbled a lot. I mean, Lamar Jackson fumbled it ten times when the ball is in his hands as much as it is, and you have a bunch of Bills players that I'm sure were running around the facility all week 
slapping balls out of people's hands because that's what's going to come down to is winning the turnover battle. I think the Bills on both sides of the ball have the ability to do that, win the turnover battle, because I think Josh Allen has come so far that you could trust him to take care of the football while making plays, and I just think there's too much offensive firepower. I'm going a little – my first pick of the week, I had him over 30, but I think that the first – the first team to 20 points in this game really has the upper hand. And that's what I was talking about. The Bills get to 28 and a late, maybe a late touchdown or, or however it plays out. But I'm going to go 28 24. What do you got, Ryan? Yeah, I've gone back and forth on this game a few times. I'm kind of like uh, Kim, where I said I could see it playing out either way. But I have the Bills winning this 30 to 27. Uh, I, I think that as dynamic as the Ravens' run game can be and will be, they're going to make, they're going to have some big plays on the ground. Lamar, Dobbins. Uh, even Gus Edwards, maybe some wide receivers. I just think that Josh Allen's improvement against the Blitz really stands out in this matchup. That was Buffalo's Achilles heel last year. They stayed in that game until the very end. They were within one score with about seven minutes left in that game, but they could never really uh, take that next step, even though they did move it deep into uh, Baltimore territory at the end. If Allen could have hit some of those big plays, if he could have made a, a few plays against the Blitz last year, that game would have had a completely different outcome. We know he's one of the best in the league this year against the Blitz. If he continues at that rate, they can put up points. And, and the kicking battle, I know no one wants to talk about a kicking battle. Two great kickers in this matchup. Uh, so that's where those extra field goals come along. It's going to come down to the wire, in my opinion. But I have the Bills moving on to the AFC Championship game. Man, won't that be something? If we are... What is it? The fourth season under Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott to to reach the AFC title game, considering the history of the last you know two decades and in the 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 struggles year after year, regime after regime, it'd be quite something. We're so excited to cover this all for you. Um, I am not going to say anything yet about next week. I really want next week to be a <laughs> surprise. It's going to be a fun show, though. I'm really excited for it, and it's going to be on our other channel, so make sure you go and find it. Buffalo Bills on NY Up. Search it. You'll find it. You don't even have to do that, though, because I put the link in the description below. Click that. I've already seen a bunch of people subscribing tonight, and we're really appreciative of that. We will be back. We will have a live post-game show. Whatever time it ends up being, it might be really late, but if you're staying up on a Saturday into a Sunday, and you want to talk Bills, uh, Ravens, uh, we will be here for you probably around 1230-ish, 1 o'clock a.m. Uh, on Saturday. Uh, i gotta, I got to make my way back home from the stadium, but we will uh, we'll dive into it. Uh, big game. We both got the Bills winning. Uh, keep it locked on to Syracuse.com, NewYorkUpstate.com for all your Bills coverage throughout the week. And have a great rest of your week. Enjoy the weekend, and we will see you in a couple days. Ready for football? Topps With ready-to-serve fan favorites, everyone will cheer for. Delicious family or party packs like pizza, sliders, fried chicken, barbecue, or beef on whack. Starting at only $4 per serving. Perfect for game day and any day. Only at Topps.